Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is from our series, Amos, Let Justice Roll. Everyone knows that our world is not the way it should be. And yet as Christians, we know that God executes justice and will restore the world to the perfection he created it in. We'll be exploring how it is that God is just and justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the last message that I ever preached. You know, five years ago, I preached my very first message here. If, and and um, they posted about it on Facebook, and I'll tell you what it made me think. If, to, if today was the last day, the last sermon I ever get to preach, I don't want you to leave here without knowing that Jesus Christ is the answer. It's what you're looking for. Um, his name is above every name. And I, I, I don't want to leave any stone unturned. Um, Christ is real. His presence is real in this place. And uh, I'm just so thankful for a church where we get to do that together each week. Worship the Lord together. All right. Now, um, we are in Amos. Look at your neighbor say Amos. <laughs> Some of you giggle. I don't know. Do you have a friend named Amos you thought about? Uh, I've never. Amos is a fitting name for a farmer, and that's what he was. He was a farmer. We got introduced to Amos last week, um, and the whole book of Amos deals with this one central topic, which is justice. Say justice. And the, we painted the picture last week. We kind of started by looking at a courtroom. Now, some of you have been in courtrooms, okay? I don't know. Have you ever served? Anybody ever served jury duty? Okay, okay. So that's a great place to be in the courtroom, okay? You don't want to be behind one of the two tables, right? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've been behind one of the two tables, okay? But I know the Lord covers all of that. Um, we looked at it in the sense of a courtroom, and what we, the question we asked was, what is justice? What is justice? What is just? What is right? What is wrong? What is truth? And what we came to determine is, and, and, is that we cannot determine truth ourselves, Right? You know this is true because the things you once thought were true five years ago, you now no longer believe. You have changed your mind over the years on some things, haven't you? So if your truth is constantly changing, why would we base what is right and wrong and just on your version? Right? This is important to understand because what Scripture says of the Lord is that he has never changed He's never changed. The God that we worship today is the same God in this book. The same power, the same grace, the same mercy, the same knowledge, the same justice, the same God. He was the same yesterday, today, and he will be the same tomorrow. You will change. He will not. That is important to understand when we talk about what's right and wrong. Even our laws, the laws of our land, are written by humans. And we are flawed. 
And so what we saw Amos do, Amos is a farmer. He picks sycamore fruit. Um, so he's just a, a lay guy, okay? He's, he didn't grow up as like a pastor's kid. He didn't grow up necessarily um, in the line of the priesthood or anything of that nature. He was a farmer. And God called him to go proclaim judgment to the people of Israel. So Israel at this point is split. There's the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And we saw him go to this place called Bethel and start proclaiming judgment against six surrounding nations. And we talked about um, those different judgments. Cruelty. Covenant breakers. They're unmerciful. Disgraceful. Disrespectful. These were the judgments laid out against Gentiles. So here's the people of God. Here's the people outside the people of God, okay? God pronounces judgment on everyone, okay? And so he hits everybody outside the people of God and judging them fairly, fairly. And so if you're listening to Amos preach. So this book of Amos is filled of his sermons. There's some poems in here. We're going to get into some, some poetry next week. And then visions. Now, these are God-sent visions. I'm not talking about the visions you have of lunch while you're sitting here listening to me preach. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, I'm talking about God-sent visions, and we'll see those at the end. Today, we'll kind of finish the first section, which is his message um, to Israel, Judah. And if you're listening to Amos preach, right, and we all have experienced this in church, where we'll listen to a sermon, and uh, we'll be like, oh, man, this is good. I know someone who needs to hear this, right? You've already done it so far today. I just listed, you know, disrespectful and, and, and cruel, and you're like, I know, I know who they are. Yeah, preach, preacher. <laughs> and Amos lures them in with these pronounced judgments. And he saves the best for last. He turns the tide of his message and points right at them. This is a rhythm we should make sure is present in our own lives as Christians. A lot of people don't like the church um, because we do a lot of rebuking and exposing sin in others, but are terrible at owning, rebuking our own sin. We've got an introspection problem. And most of the time, it's because we're blind to it. Can I be honest with you? A lot of times, you are blind to your own sin. That is why we come to church and read his word and, and enter into discipleship relationships so that other people can call out our sin. Now, that is never a comfortable process. For those of you who are like, man, that sounds terrible. It is. Your sin is terrible. It is in a, a very exposing process. But Amos is about to lay it out to his own people. 
And that's what I intend to do today. You know, Amos was written um, they, 760, 750 B.C., so before Christ. It is still relevant for you and I today. Otherwise, it wouldn't be in here. That's our understanding, right? The Bible is for you. All portions of it, front to back. Okay, just make sure we're on the same page. Let's read together. Let's see. Make sure I didn't forget anything. I didn't. Okay. Let's start in verses four and five. We're in Amos. It's 8.11. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. Uh, that's our gift to you if you don't have one at home. Uh, page 8.11 in the pew Bible. And um, if you're flipping, you're probably still flipping trying to find this book. Um, if you go uh, back just a little bit, uh, Hosea, Joel, Amos, uh, just keep flipping, you'll find it, I promise. Verses four and five, we're going to read together. The Lord says, this is important, the Lord says, right at the beginning of the book, Amos says, the Lord roars. So we really should receive these words today as the Lord roaring to his people. I will not relent from punishing Judah for three crimes, even four, because they have rejected the instruction of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. The lies that their ancestors followed have led them astray. Therefore, I will send fire against Judah, and it will consume the citadels of Jerusalem. So, there's a reason. Has, have, have any of you ever heard a sermon through Amos? Okay. If you were here last week, you did. So, uh, okay. So, some of you are going to be able to raise your hand. <laughs> Man. Y'all are ready to go. Um, the reason you don't hear much out of Amos is because um, it is, it's not as acceptable today. When I was growing up, I heard about judgment all the time. You don't hear much about judgment today. Um, and people say that um, th there's a lot of preaching on God's love, but kind of a, an ignoring of his wrath. You know, you can't have one without the other. You can't have one without the other. It was love that took the wrath of our sin on the cross. Um, I remember picking up Macy from school the very first time where she had some little snot-headed little girl, little boy, I don't remember which, break her little heart, call her something or said something about her. And I realized that love and wrath exist at the same time. I said, you tell me that boy's name. I'll take care of it. <laughs> that backfired because now uh, we had an incident where Macy was like, I'm going to tell my dad. And he said, he'll take care of it. Uh, hold 
Wait a second, baby. Can't be throwing stuff around like that. I'm going to talk to their daddy. I'm not going to come up and grab a first grader by the neck. So... But love and wrath exist in the same breath. You can't have one without the other. That's why you don't hear a ton about judgment. And so when we read this, we instantly feel negative, right? You, you feel nervous about it. You feel, it feels heavy. It should be. This is the same pattern we saw last week. The accusations he made against people outside the family, he then made against his own people, saying three times, even four, meaning you have sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned, and I've had enough. You've piled it up, and I've had enough. The same judgment for them is the same judgment I'm going to hold for you. And then he has three charges. Here are the three charges. Here, here are the judgments. One, you rejected the law. Because they have rejected the instruction of the Lord. The, third, the second charge, they disobeyed the law. They did not keep his statutes. So you rejected it, then you disobeyed it. And then lastly, the third charge, they believed the lie. The lie that their ancestors followed have led them astray. This is a pattern that still exists for Christians. This is what I see when people leave the church. The very first thing they do is they reject the preaching of his word. Now all of a sudden the Bible doesn't hold me. I'm going to reject the truth after they reject it, obviously, the result is they disobey it. And I need to tell you something. You can't reject the truth without grabbing a hold of a lie. You can't reject the truth without grabbing hold of a lie. These are the charges. They've rejected the law that he'd given, meaning he'd given all this to Moses. And they rejected. They said, we don't want this. They disobeyed it. And they believed a lie. And then he says, the punishment, I will send fire against Judah. And it will consume the citadels of Jerusalem. Now, if you remember, Amos is from that area. He is preaching to his own people. He's talking to his own fam. And he's saying, he lived just 8, 11 miles south of Jerusalem. He said, God is going to burn up Jerusalem. His town. Now, he obviously means here some, a physical fire. But if you look at the Bible broad, book to, like binder to binder, what you will find is that fire is used in more than just a physical sense. It is also used in a spiritual sense. You know what to do? To purify. You know what happens when you heat up metal? Specifically, they'll heat up gold and things like that, precious metals, and all the impurities will rise to the top so they can scrape them off. We see it in 1 Corinthians 3, he'll burn away. 1 Peter 1, he, we're tested by fire. God uses fire. Um, and in this case, it's a physical, but it absolutely has spiritual implications. God wants to purify us. Did you know that? 
Um, God wants to purify. So let's keep going. Six through eight. So he turns from Judah, which is the south, and he heads north to Israel, and it gets even worse. The Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Israel for three crimes, even four, because they sell a righteous person for silver and a needy person for a pair of sandals. They trample the heads of the poor on the dust of the ground and obstruct the path of the needy. A man and his father have sexual relations with the same girl, profaning my holy name. They stretch out beside every altar on garments taken as collateral. And in the house of their God, they drink wine obtained through fines. Now, we, we don't today in 2022, we don't have the greatest understanding of the Old Testament. So some of this may sound a little foreign. So I'm going to break it down just a little bit for you. Again, same pattern. Three times even four. Sin upon sin upon sin. And here's what they're guilty of. Three things. The number one, gross injustice. Everybody say injustice. Let me paint a picture. During this time, talking about Israel, Israel is wealthy. Wealthy, wealthy, wealthy. King Jeroboam II at the time, he has allowed um, other idol worship, allowed all kinds of outside influences into the camp. And they are making money hand over fist. They are loaded. It is a very um, uh, wealthy period for the northern kingdom of Israel. And that system was filled with corrupt judges. A corrupt legal system in which they would take advantage of the poor. The rich were taking advantage of the poor. So they would ignore poor people. This is what would happen. And this poor person would then get more and more in debt. Anybody gotten more and more in debt? I know that feeling. Boys, when debt starts piling up, it piles up quick, don't it? If you're not in it now, maybe you remember a time that it, that it was like that. But this is, so for the poor person, they weren't receiving any help. In fact, the Bible says they were being trampled on. I mean, they were running over the poor. So a poor person would get more and more in debt. And because they were in more and more debt back then, what they would do is they would put them in what they would call debt slavery. They would make them slaves to pay off their debt. So these poor person would then become a slave. They would not get any help. They would continue to be trampled. And then in the court system, they would go and they would be refused representation. And the judges were paid off to lean towards the rich. These are the people of God, right? This is Israel. Gross injustice. If you go back, so we talked about how they, the, Judah was guilty of, um, of uh, 
rejecting the law. You know what the law says? If you go back to Deuteronomy 15, listen to how people are supposed to treat the poor. Deuteronomy 15, verse 7. If there is a poor person among you, this is God speaking to these people who are acting this way many years earlier. If there is a poor person among you, one of your brothers within any of your city gates in the land, the Lord God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Instead, you are to open your hand to him, freely loan him enough to get whatever he need um, for whatever need he has. Be careful that there isn't this wicked thought in your heart. The seventh year, uh, the seventh year, the year of canceling debts is near, and you are stingy toward your brother and give him nothing. He will cry out to the Lord against you. And you will be guilty. Give to him and don't have a stingy heart when you give. And because of this, the Lord God will bless you in all your work and in everything you do. For there will never cease to be poor people in the land. That, that is why I'm commanding you. Open your hand willingly to your poor and needy brother in the land. That is the standard that they're to be living toward. And now they've rigged an entire system to trample on and abuse the poor. Quite different, right? The two? That's what it's supposed to look like. So gross injustice, number one. Then gross immorality. We see this picture of this father and son um, and sexual immorality being rampant. Um, there's a couple different options for what Amos is alluding to here. Back in this time, there was a god called Astarte. Astarte, um, young, poor women would prostitute themselves in the worship area. So when you would worship these false gods, this is what was present, prostitutes. So not only was it idolatrous worship, but then it was also trafficking of young women, poor women, in worship to another God. Um, gross injustice, gross immorality. And then look, this last one, hypocritical worship. Say hypocritical. It'll get better, I promise. Oh, man, this is so depressing. This is awful. Yeah. Isn't it interesting how weighty we feel when we look at the sinfulness of others, but then when we look at our own sin, it's like we give ourselves a pass? Isn't that something? Your sin carries the same weight and ugliness that any of these do. And in fact, what we see in the ignoring of the poor, God is calling it sinfulness. Ignoring brokenness is sinful. And then hypocritical worship. 
we see there at the end. They stretch out beside the altar on garments taken as collateral. So, so here's, to understand this, I'm gonna take you back to Exodus just for a minute. Exodus 22, 26 and 27 um, say this. Should have marked it. So I have to flip. 22, 26, and 27. If you ever take your neighbor's cloak as collateral, return it to him before sunset, for it is his only covering. It is the clothing for his body. What will he sleep in? And if he cries out to me, I will listen because I am gracious. Couple words to look out for here. They stretch out beside every altar. So here's one of the accusations. Here's one of the judgments coming down. They say they worship the one true God, but they are laying down at every altar of worship in the land. They are saying with their mouths that they worship the one true God, but they are bowing in worship to every altar. Every false idol, every false god that they have allowed into the land, they are also worshiping at. Let me paint the right picture here. Amos pictured a man committing sexual immorality with a temple prostitute, the same one his son visited the day before, keeping warm with a garment extorted from the poor, toasting his success with wine and with money dishonestly gained. This is the picture. And then comes the judgment. Let me, well, let me, let me before I get into the judgment, let me check in with you. You realize that injustices like this are still prevalent today. Now, we can choose to ignore those, but then I think there's some judgment that God finds here through Amos's mouth for ignoring injustice. We have in the Christian context, especially here, we have allowed so many other sources to infiltrate and we will worship at the idol of a news channel. We'll worship at the idol of my neighbor's opinion. What's popular or what seems right to us. In fact, we'll worship ourselves oftentimes. We'll lay at our own altars and, and pride ourselves on our thoughts and how our, our feelings about things and totally ignore the scripture. Totally ignore it. And I'll tell you how, how I know. If you look at some of the, let, let me just go through a couple justice issues that, that, that we can see. Healthcare. Now, a lot of us in this room have ample access to healthcare, but the more you get into the community, um, you find there are huge gaps in access to healthcare, who can have healthcare, who can afford healthcare. I called my dad once, and, and that doesn't happen often. We talk like twice a year. Um, and one of the times I called him, he has terrible diabetes, terrible diabetes. And he said, 
uh, I said, how you doing? He said, oh, you know, I'm doing all right. He's got a ton of health issues. And he says, um, he said, well, things have been tough the last little bit. Um, his diabetes had kind of gotten out of control there. And um, he said, I'm rationing my insulin. Well, I said, hey, what? why are you rationing the insulin? He said, well, once I run out, they're going to charge me $400 because I've already gotten my supply for the month. And I can't afford the insulin. That's just one instance. I could start ticking them off of people who are, our healthcare system has injustices in it. I see it. I see it all the time. Refugees. If I start talking refugees, all of a sudden, your mind's going to zip to some um, television channel that's told you what to believe about refugees when the scripture tells us what to believe about refugees. You won't go to your Bible because you don't like what it has to say about refugees. Because the Bible would have you take in refugees and love the refugee. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, you're already, some of you are already pinning me to some kind of immigration political speech. Let me tell you, first and foremost, that this Bible takes precedent over any political uh, feelings you have. And some of you are going to go home and chew on this because you're like, man, I don't like what he's saying. Well, let me tell you something. The Lord doesn't like how you're acting. We should be acting towards the refugee like Christ acted towards us when we were estranged, when we were far off, when we were foreign to him and he sent his son to die for us. We respond to refugees out of a, a place where we were spiritually the refugee. But we don't want to think about it like that because that's too convicting. It's going to cause you to have to change your thoughts about how we treat other people, how we treat those who are denied health care, those who are refugees, or and even if you want to talk racial injustice. It wasn't all that long ago that our very own convention, you know, we're talk, we talked just last week about what is true and what is just, right? What is right, wrong? Who determines that? It was absolutely true and just and okay for a black congregation to not exist because they didn't have a white pastor. It was within generations in this room. So before we think, oh, that was so long ago. No, it was not. And you even see it today. It ebbs more in the background. Praise God for the progress that has been made by those who have sacrificed and many of them clinging to this. Because of what God has called us to believe and do and act. Justly. And we really need to check who we are allowing, whose weight we're giving when it comes to what is just and right and wrong. It comes from his word. And it'd be very easy for us to ignore just all the trafficking and prostitution uh, and the abuse that happens just six minutes from here on Jeff Davis Highway. Just right up the street. And we are content to ignore it. 
I wonder what Amos would say to us. I wonder what the Lord would say to us today. I, I think through his word, he is begging and pleading with us to repent. It turns a little bit here, okay? So how does God respond to all these judgments? He responds with a reminder. Let's read it together. 9 through 12, it says, Yet I destroyed the Amorite as Israel advanced. His height was like the cedars, and he was as sturdy as the oaks. I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. I brought you from the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness in order to possess the land of the Amorite. I raised up some of your sons as prophets and some of your young men as Nazarites. Is this not the case, Israelites? This is the Lord's declaration. But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets, do not prophesy. Here's what the Lord does. How should we look at justice? How should we look at judgment and justice? We should look at it in light of what the Lord has done for us. There is a walk that a Christian should have of gratitude for what the Lord has done. He looks at these Israelites and he says, look at your sin. All this after I have done all of these things for you. I got you out of Egypt. I led you through the wilderness. I have been there for you. I've given you this opportunity, this special opportunity to commune with me. And instead of it causing them to cling to him, they walked away and said, I don't want to hear it. Oh, how many times have we been guilty of that? When all we have is gifted to us in the first place, we should be willing to freely share that with others. This is the reminder. Who is the source to begin with? It's God. When we look and think about justice, we think this is something we get to render. No, this is something that was already rendered to you. And you get to render to others as an overflow. This is an overflow. Look at what I have done for you. And then lastly, 13 through 16. Look, I am about to crush you in your place as a wagon crushes when full of grain. Escape will fail the swift. The strong one will not maintain his strength and the warrior will not save his life. The archer will not stand his ground. The one who is swift of foot will not save himself and the one riding on a horse will not save his life. Even the most courageous of the warriors will flee naked on that day. This is the Lord's declaration. Dim picture. We're getting ready to take communion. These last few verses say one thing. No one escapes the judgment of God. No one. No one in this room. Now look, I know you didn't come. You, you, you came to church today and the band could come on up because we're going to take communion. Um, some of you came to church today and you thought, man, I just want just encourage me, Pastor. Just give me some smiles and some funny jokes.
And that last statement is what weighs on me. No one will escape his judgment. I don't care how good you think you've been. What is it the prophet said? That even my righteousness, even my stabs at being good are like filthy rags. Today, a matter of fact, I'm going to turn there. I want to read one more scripture to you as we kind of move towards communion. One of the reasons we like to preach through books of the Bible is because we don't get to skip the hard stuff. Today, it may be hard for you to to do, but my prayer is that right now, as, as I prayed about this particular message, my prayer was that the Lord, through his spirit, would begin to reveal in you all the injustices that you are ignoring all the compromises that you've made and convict you of them so that you would repent today. (laughs) Just the silence in the room tells me one thing. Um, I don't know when the last time you went to church and heard that you need to repent, but today's the day. Today's the day. I don't want you leaving here without. And this is not just for those who who have not surrendered their life to Christ. If you're not a Christian here today, I am pleading with you. Come to Christ. Repent and be saved. Turn your life over to him. I'm telling you, it is worth every moment. But even for the Christian. For some of us, I think we take this posture that repentance is something we do when we ask the Lord to our hearts, but it shouldn't be a recurring presence in our daily walk. Christian, hear me. You should be repenting. You should be, repentance should be a part of your daily walk with Christ because one thing I know for sure, and I can, I'll just talk personally. The closer I get to Christ, the more unworthy I feel. (laughs) Some people think, you know, you have to achieve some sort of spiritual, (laughs) uh, like, euphoric kind of special place that we as preachers get to where we don't sin anymore. And I can tell you, and I think this is why Paul in the New Testament was able to say something like, I am the chief of sinners. Because the more real his presence becomes in my life, the more I surrender to him daily, the more I feel like I have to repent of. When I fall short as a husband or as a father, when I fail as a pastor, when I fail as a friend, And then I read passages like Titus 2. In verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, um, righteous, and godly way 
in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to cleanse us for himself, a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. How does this bring us to the table, to communion? Because I remember the weight of my lawlessness and I picture the cross. I picture his broken body. I picture his shed blood poured out so that I can deny the godlessness Listen, would that describe you today? That you're denying godlessness and worldly lust? Would your life be described as living in a sensible, righteous, godly way in this present age? If not, he gave himself. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all that lawlessness. Here's the beauty in looking at judgment. Here's the beauty in looking at injustices. We, re- we recognize that Christ reconciled it on the cross. He reconciled it on the cross. The cross was sufficient. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.